let's get started. But I want to start out with a story. I love stories. This story is about a fairly wealthy man who was on his way to work, driving his BMW. And as he was going to work, he got into an accident. It was a very bad accident because his car was totaled. So the police officer came, uh, when the police came on the scene, one of the police officers came and pulled the unconscious man out of the wreckage. And as he started to come to, he noticed his car was totaled. And when he saw the car, he cried, my BMW, oh, my BMW. Now the police officer that was tending to him said to him this, he said these words, he says, sir, I'm sorry. But you don't have time to worry about your BMW. It's just a car. But we need to rush you to the hospital because your arm is severed from your elbow. And the wealthy man looked at his severed arm and he cried. Oh, my Rolex! My Rolex! (laughs) See, what we have here is a man with mixed up priorities. And isn't that like so many Christians today living their lives with mixed-up priorities. We live in a very materialistic and a very technological world that provides us with comfort and convenience. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't mind the comfort and conveniences. I mean, I like the fact that I can actually get more accomplished without even getting out of my car. For instance, if I wanted to go to the bank and make a deposit or withdrawal, I can just simply drive by the ATM, drive by, and just do my business. If I wanted to get a cup of coffee, I can just simply drive to Dunkin' Donuts right to the drive-thru. If I wanted to pick up a prescription, I don't need to stand in a long line in the pharmacy. All I got to do is drive to the drive-thru and just pick up my prescription, and I'm done. See, I like that. But here's the thing. Because of the conveniences and, and the comfort that technology and and the material things provide us. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that. But we can very slowly fall into a situation where we become so dependent and so reliant upon these conveniences that the danger of that is not only will it interfere our priorities, but it will cause us to worship and to become a servant to the thing or the creation instead of the creator. And that's what these material things and technology can do. And again, I'm not knocking any of that because I love comfort and I love conveniences and I love the technology that we have today. But when we allow it to become the God in our lives, then it interrupts everything in our lives. It interrupts our priorities. Now, Let me ask you this question, having said all that, and I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm going to say. If you were to lose everything that you value in this world, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your home, your job, your money, your health, your PlayStation, your cell phone, and all the, electronics, all the electronic things that you have, et cetera, et cetera. If you were to lose all of that, would God still be enough? Let me put it to you another way. 
if everything was taken from you and the only thing you had left was God, would God be enough? I want you to think about that for a second. Because you see, as I was preparing for this message, I had a chance to ask myself this question. And I began to imagine what it would be like to lose everything that I love and cherish, like my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my position here at Faith Christian Center, my health. And if I realized that if I was really honest with myself, sadly, I would have to say that God is not enough. Now, I'm just being honest with you. And I'm not a betting man, but I'm willing to wager that if you've asked yourself that question tonight and you were really honest with yourself, I would bet that your answer would more than likely be the same as mine. But here's the thing. Deep down, like so many of us, we crowd God out of our lives with so many things that are going on with us. Trying to find fulfillment, trying to find satisfaction with God and spouse, with, with God and children, with God and career, with God and money, with God and, and finances. Mixing everything up with God and slowly crowding him out of our lives. It's not that, now keep in mind, it's not that I don't, I mean, I want God to matter. I want God to be real to me. I yearn for God. But we need to understand that there are so many things that are crowding him out. And I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But I want us to be aware of the fact that there's so much more that God wants of us. But because of the things, the material things, the technology and everything else in life, the responsibilities and the careers and everything. You see, because the problem here is that God alone is not enough. We have to mix him up with everything else in life. And God wants to have preeminence in our life. He wants to be first place and everything else second. I can imagine what Abraham felt like when God told him to lay his son at the altar as a burnt offering. And you know how that works? He's got to build the altar, place him at the altar, and then kill him before burning him. That was a burnt offering. And he was willing to do that even to the point where he was about to plunge his knife. And what I love about this is this. God said this, very specific. He says, I want you to offer up your son, your only son, the only thing that mattered to Abraham, the only thing that he loved, the one thing that was worth more to him. He says, your only son, whom you love, and give him to me as an offering. And Abraham, by building the altar and laying his son down and about to plunge the knife, what he was saying to God was this, Lord, I love my son. My son is worth more to me than anything else. But Lord, you're worth more. You're worth more. And see, that's where we need to come. That's the place that we need to come to. So, is God enough? Go with me to John chapter 4. 
It's only when God is enough for us that our lives will truly be satisfied. You know, it's, it's funny because there are so many Christians today that are running around with a cup in their hands, with the bottom cut out, looking for someone or something to fill that cup, only to find out that the cup is still empty. That's how some of us are. Looking for that satisfaction and never finding it. Thirsting for something and never having your thirst quenched. I love John chapter 4 and verse 13, where Jesus, you know the story where he was uh, talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the, the whole conversation is interesting because it's nothing but about water. That's all it was. And Jesus says something very interesting concerning water. He said in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, referring to the water in the well. That means that if a person drinks from that well, he'll quench his thirst temporarily, and he'll go off until he gets thirsty again. Then he goes back to the well to drink more water. He quenches his thirst momentarily. He leaves, he gets thirsty again, and he comes back. And he better hope that there's still water at the well, otherwise he's going to go home thirsty. That's the way it is with life. We're looking for something to quench our thirst and can't seem to quench it. We will quench it momentarily. We'll have momentary satisfaction. But it's not enough. It's only when God is enough that our lives will be truly satisfied. And so Jesus said, those who drink from this water will always thirst But then he said in verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, he will never thirst. In other words, you will always be satisfied. And he said, But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life, referring to the Holy Spirit. But my point here is this. A relationship with God is the only thing that will satisfy this thirst, this thirst that we all have. This thirst that, that causes us to go other places and not being able to quench it. You wonder why people are drug addicts. You wonder why people are alcoholics. You wonder why people uh, look for other things to satisfy them, to seek fulfillment and never find it. It's because they're looking in the wrong place. Relationship with God is the only thing that will satisfy you. And that's what Jesus was talking about. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 42. Is God enough? Ask yourself this question. Do I really possess the strong desire to have God and his presence in my life? Do I really live my life like God is enough? When I say God is enough, does your lifestyle reflect your words? Look what the psalmist writes in chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. He says, As the deer pants or longs for the water brooks, so pants or longs my soul for you, O God. Verse 2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears, verse 3, have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Now, here's a man who is seeking after God, longing for him, longing for fellowship, thirsting after God, 
What are you thirsting for? What are you craving for? Because if it's not God, it's not going to satisfy you. Yeah, you might have momentary fulfillment and momentary satisfaction, but that won't last. I guarantee you that. But here's the problem. So often we tend to run to things that God had created instead of running towards God who is the creator. Looking to quench our thirst. Go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is where we need to come. This is the place that we need to be. This is where our attitude should be. Psalm 73 in verse 25. Look at what the psalmist writes. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. The Amplified Virgin says, I have no delight or desires on earth besides you, O Lord. Now quickly go to Colossians chapter 3. Giving your fingers some exercise tonight. Is God enough? Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, how many of you here have been raised up with Christ? Okay, well, this is what he tells us. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says, Set your mind or your affections on things above, and what? Not on things on the earth. So we ask the question, is God enough? And of course the answer is, he is. But is he enough for all of us? Is he enough for each one of us? God not only is enough, but God is everything. How many of you believe that? Go to Acts chapter 17. I like what St. Augustine said. He said, he who has God has everything. And he who has everything but God has nothing. In Acts chapter 28, I want to focus on the first part of that verse 28. Acts 17 verse 28, the first part of that verse. It says, for in him that is in Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. Now what Paul is simply saying is this. He says... In him, in Christ, we live. Without him, we have no life. He says, in him, we move. But without him, we have no direction. He says, in him, we have our being or our existence. But without him, we have no existence. Without God, there is no reality. Without God, there is no logic. And there's no reason for anything. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Without God, we would have no life. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. Is God enough? Colossians 1, 17, and I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. 
For it was in him that all things were created in heaven and on earth. Things seen and things unseen, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created and exist through him by his service, intervention, and in and for him. Verse 17, he says, and he himself existed before all things. That was verse 16. I'm sorry. This is verse 17. And he himself existed before all things. And in him, all things consist or are held together. My point here is this. Through Christ, all things were created, both material and spiritual. And nothing cannot exist or continue unless Christ is holding it together. Which tells me that he is everything. And because he's everything, we need to depend more and more on him. I like what John 15 and verse 5 says. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, he said, you will bear much fruit. But without me, what did he say? You can do nothing. So when you don't have Christ, you have no power over sin. You, if you don't have Christ, you don't have power over Satan. If you don't have Christ, you have no life. When the Bible says that the Lord is our strength, he's not saying that the strength comes from us. He is our strength. Paul understood that when he said that I can do all things through Christ. Philippians uh, 413, where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when you read about Paul and study his, his ministry and see what he had gone through, he could not have accomplished the things that he accomplished if it weren't for the fact that he relied on Christ's strength. He is everything. I like what David, throughout his, you know, I love the book of Psalms. Every time I'm down, every time I need encouragement, every time I'm facing a challenge that is difficult, I always go to the book of Psalms. Because I can, because I can relate to David because he himself went through so many things. But yet in the midst of his trials, he was able to sing Psalms. And, and throughout his Psalms, he says, Lord, you are my refuge. Other Psalms, he'll say, Lord, you are my strength. You are my shield and buckler. Lord, you are my wall of defense. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my deliverer and my helper. David understood that God was everything to him. And he would not have accomplished the things that he had accomplished if it weren't for God. God is everything. And the moment you start thinking that he is not everything, you're just going to find yourself in trouble. Let me just say that. So we need to stop trying to live life without God because he is enough and he is everything. So I want to take the rest of the evening to look at some examples throughout the Bible because God has demonstrated throughout the Bible, if you take the time to study, how God is not only enough and God is not only everything, but God is more than enough. And we see in the Bible, throughout the Bible, how he demonstrated that continuously. So if you have, if you go to the book of Genesis, chapter 17, go there with me. Genesis chapter 17. 
Is God enough? I want you to think about that when you go home tonight. Ask yourself those questions. Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 3. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall, you na- shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now, it's interesting because God had appeared to Abraham. This was the sixth time that God had appeared to Abraham. But it's the first time that he announced himself as the Almighty God. Now, the word Almighty God is the Hebrew word El Shaddai, which most of you know. And the word El Shaddai simply means the all-sufficient one or the God that is more than enough. And it's interesting how the verse starts out. It starts out by Abraham's age that he was 99. And it's not a coincidence that God, knowing that he was 99, would announce himself and present himself as the almighty God, as a God that is more than enough. And the reason being is because of what God was about to tell him and about what God was about to do in his life. Him being 99, he needed to know that God was more than enough to do the things that he said he was going to do in his life. So let's look at what he said he was going to do. The first thing that he says in verse 2, God says, I will multiply you exceedingly because I'm more than enough. Then, in verse 4, he says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations because I'm more than enough. Then in verse 6, he says, I will... Make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, because I am more than enough. No one else could meet Abraham's needs. No one else can do the things that God said he would do, except God himself. Now, skip down to verse 15 of Genesis chapter 17. And let's talk about what God wants to do with his wife, Sarah. Verse 15, he said this. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Verse 16 says, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Let me say that again. Verse 16, he says, and I will bless her and I will give you a son, not by Hagar, Not by any other mistresses, but by her, your 90-year-old wife. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And 
Now understand that Abraham's faith was not quite yet perfected at this stage of his life. Because having heard that, the next verse said this. He says in verse 17, when Abraham fell on his faith, and what did he do? He laughed, and he said in his heart, or to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now understand that God had announced himself as the God that is more than enough. Apparently, Abraham did not get that. Because having heard what God was about to do in his life, Abraham doubted that and questioned it and began to laugh because to him it was impossible and incredible for his wife who was barren and 90 years of age to bear a child. So it was out of the question. There's no way this could happen. So Abraham did this. Okay, I hear what God is saying. But there's no way this can happen because I'm 100 years old. My wife is 90 years old. She can't have any kids. That's why I had Ishmael from someone else. So he brings up Ishmael in the conversation in verse 18. And he said, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It's almost like, God, it's almost like Abraham was saying, uh, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I have Ishmael. He's here. He's my flesh. He's my son. He's a good boy. Why don't you establish your covenant with him since he's already here? I mean, it's simple. It's easy. He settled for, for Ishmael. Because you see, he assumed that the descendants would come from Ishmael and no, by no other way. Here's what I want you to, and I want you to get this. Abraham has settled for Ishmael. It was easy. It was convenient. He was already alive. He was already grown. He was about a teenager, about, probably about that time. And he tried to convince God, why don't you use Ishmael and bless him? All the blessings, let him come on him. This is where so many Christians are today. You see, Abraham just wanted a child. He wanted to have a son. God, however, wanted Abraham to have a nation. This is where so many Christians are today. God wants to do so more. He, he, wants to, he is the God that is more than enough. And God wants to be more than enough in our lives. But the problem is that so many Christians today are settling for their Ishmaels and not allowing God to be more than enough in his life. I want you to get that. We want to settle for what's easy. We want to settle for what's convenient. We want to settle for what's, what's right, what's at hand. But what we don't realize is we're limiting God to do more because he wants to do more in your life. If he is the God that is more than enough, he wants to be more than enough in your life. He wants to do more than enough in your life. But, we, but when we settle for other things, when we settle for less, then we're not allowing him to be more. We're not allowing him to provide more. And when God heard Abraham's statement and plea concerning Ishmael, 
God had responded quickly in verse 19. He says, no, Sarah shall be your wife. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. In other words, God is saying, no, I'm not accepting Ishmael. That's not part of my will. That is not part of my plan. So you will not use any other means but this, but what I'm providing for you. See, understand, Abraham could not believe that his wife could bear a child. God, who is more than enough, wanted to prove that. And again, keep in mind that Abraham's faith was not quite yet perfected at this time. So he's still growing and he's still developing. But he wanted to settle for less and God would not allow him. To many of us here tonight, God is saying, no, you will not settle for your Ishmael's. So put that aside and let God be God and let him be more than enough in your life. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Look at another example of God being more than enough. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 14. This is when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14 and beginning in verse 14. It says, when, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, verse 15, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus responds in verse 16 and says, they don't need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. Isn't it interesting how God put a demand in the disciples' faith? Now, the disciples responded this way. So, Lord, verse 17, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. How are we going to feed this multitude of people? Now, understand the Bible said that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. It is believed that there were actually between twelve to 15,000 people that was present. And it was estimated that to feed that many people, it would require two freight trains, each a mile long, filled with food in order to feed that many people. We're talking about several tons of food here. But yet Jesus, who is more than enough, was able to feed these, this many people, this multitude, with just simply five loaves and two fishes. And it's interesting how God will put a demand on our faith, trusting him and allowing him to be God who is more than enough. How many times God have put a demand on your faith, and because we were unwilling to trust him, we missed out on what God was able to do. Because in our minds we thought, yeah, listen, we're our worst enemy because we can convince ourselves not to do anything that God says. We'll make excuses. We'll find reasons to justify our actions instead of just simply trusting God. So it comes down to this. Is God enough? And do you believe that God is everything? And do you believe that he is more than enough? Let's look at another example. Go to Acts chapter 3. Let 
And of course, the story in, in, in Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says that Jesus took the five loaves and two fishes and he lifted it up to the Lord, blessed it, broke it, and distributed it to all the people. And the Bible says that they all ate and were filled. Every man, every woman, and every child ate and were satisfied. Acts chapter 3. And this is the story of Peter and John who went to the temple to pray. In verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So it's pretty obvious why Peter and John went to the temple. It was to pray. In verse 2, And a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. So here's the picture. As Peter and John were on their way to pray at the temple, the lame man went to the temple to beg. It's interesting. Peter and John went to the temple, went to church to seek God. The lame man went to the temple to seek man. Peter and John went to the temple expecting to hear from God. The lame man went to the temple expecting to receive from man. And the Bible says that he went there every day. And never once did he enter into the temple. Who goes to church and don't even come inside? That's what he did. But because he's lame, and this is how he makes his living. So he says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to go to the temple, and everyone that comes in, I'm going to ask for money, and people will come in. And, but here's the thing. No matter how much money he gets that day, when he goes home, he comes back the next day. Because the Bible says he comes daily, which means that whatever he gets is not enough. It's not satisfying. It's not fulfilling his needs. Because he has to come every day. Now, it goes on to say that when Peter and John, who's about to go into the temple, asked, saw the man asking for alms and fixing his eyes on him with, Peter, with John, Peter said, look at us. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention, listen to this, expecting to receive something from them. Listen. The moment you start thinking that you can expect it to receive from man, you're in trouble. Let me say that again. The moment you start expecting to receive from man, you're in trouble. Now, that doesn't mean that God will use man to put into your life in order to meet your need. But what we need to do is go to God first and let him determine what's best to minister to our needs. Right? Amen? Amen? We need to go to God and let him determine what is the best way to fulfill and meet your needs. Well, here's a man that was constantly expecting to receive from man. And whatever he got was not enough because he had to come back the next day. So Peter, being filled with the Holy Ghost and being filled with faith, saw this man, recognized that this man needed something more than just silver and gold. And even if he had silver and gold, he would not have given it to him because he knew that wasn't enough. What he needed was something far more because he believed that God was more than enough. 
And so when Peter and John looked at him with his arms stretched out, hoping that he received something from Peter and John, Peter says in verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you because it's more than enough than the silver and gold that you receive every day of your life. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in verse 7 it says, and he took him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bone received strength. And for the first time in his life, he began to leap, he began to run, he began to jump and dance. And for the first time, he finally went inside the church and had church. It's just, it's just funny that a man would go to church every day, not even enter in because he wasn't expecting to receive from God. He was looking towards man. But when he found a man of God who gave him the right direction and provided him with the healing that he needed because that's what he needed. And now he was able to not only go to church, worship God, but now he can provide for his own self. God is a too much God. And he's a God that is more than enough. Hallelujah. So God gave to this lame man what he really and truly needed. It was more than the silver and gold that he received every day. And you know, sometimes we need to stop depending on the things that we think is going to get us over and just depend on God. Paul understood this. He understood that God was more than enough. Ephesians 4.20, I mean 3.20 says this, For God is able to do exceeding abundantly and above all they can ask or think. Paul understood that. He understood that, he, that God was his provider because he says in, in uh, Philippians 4.19 that my God, not the bank, not my friend, not my father, not my brother, not my mother, but my God shall supply all of my needs. Because God is more than enough. As I get ready to close tonight, I want you to ask yourself one more time, is God enough? When your friends betray, betray you, is God enough? When your spouse betrays you, is God enough? When your children are having issues that's out of your control, is God enough? When your marriage is, is on the brink of destruction, is God enough? When someone you love is dying of cancer, is God enough? When you're struggling professionally, personally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, is God enough? When someone you love uses words to hurt you, is God enough? When you find yourself in debt and don't know how to pay your bills, don't know where the food is coming, is God enough? When the world around you is in turmoil, 
when everything around you is falling apart, when your health is declining, <clears throat> when everyone's let you down, is God enough? <clears throat> Abraham eventually found out that God was more than enough. Paul understood that God was more than enough. Peter and John demonstrated that God was more than enough. And Jesus, who is God, knew that he was more than enough. So my question tonight is, is God more than enough for you? Is he all that you need? Or are you struggling with other things that are trying to crowd God out of your life? So I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to think about that question. Now, some of you probably already answered that question. Probably some of you are still struggling with that question. But I think it's important that you examine your heart and find out where you are with God. Because the only one that can satisfy you is your relationship with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your words, Lord, tonight. I pray, Father God, that, uh, that many of you, the people that are here tonight, that you've spoken to them very clearly, Lord God. And you reveal yourself more to them, Father. And, and Lord, that you're pinpointing the, the, the very area in their lives that they need to work on. Father, I thank you that you've spoken to your people, Father, in such a way that is plain and simple, Father. And Lord, I just thank you tonight that as they leave, Father God, that you will continue to speak and minister to them by your Spirit. And Lord, I thank you that by your ministering to them, Father, that they'll grow stronger. Father, they'll draw closer to you, Father God. They'll become more and more, uh, that you become more and more real to them, Father God. And Lord, I just thank you for the love that you have for them tonight. And I thank you for extending your love and your mercy and your grace for each one of them here. And so, Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for their victory in their lives. I thank you for helping to overcome, Lord God. I thank you, Father God, that they're finding themselves in finding you. And Lord, for this we thank you. And we give you all the glory and all the praise tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.